0: I want to thank uh, Jeremy, specifically, and Matthew for bringing the messages the last two weeks while I was hanging out at Cinderella's Castle. Uh, and uh, I, I, I've heard from several that my job is in jeopardy. Okay, so uh, love that. Uh, Jeremy did a great job of pointing to the text In Isaiah chapter 55, and if you, if just kind of reminding, if you were here and if you missed it, where God says that His ways or His thoughts are not our ways, and making the point from the text that what we have often thought that text says is maybe not what it actually is about. That God is saying that while your ways, you folks, are not so gracious... And are often not so merciful. My heart is way more compassionate and gracious than your hearts could ever be. And this entire series is aimed at moving past our sinful and, as Matthew said last week, wrong belief systems are worldly views of God. And to see Him as He really is, as Scripture reveals Him to be. It's just so amazing, isn't it? That sometimes it's it's hard for our hearts and our minds, and, and, and Paul struggled with this, and the Gospels mention this, re, Jesus mentions this repeatedly, how we just have these blinders. We're not able to see what the scripture actually even is trying to reveal about who God says that He is and how He relates to us. And Ortland says it this way, is that our heart is lawish. Lawish. While God's heart is lavish. And I want to see if I can unpack that idea this morning and then validate it with Scripture because I think there are basically two ways to live the Christian life. One is this way of law. And this other way is the way of recognizing God's lavishness. Or put it another way, to live our life for Christ or from Christ. And I have preached dozens, if not hundreds, of sermons calling us and people to commitment to Christ, to live for Christ, and we can find biblical support for that idea. But the problem happens when it gets centered in us. We make it about me. And how I'm doing. Good or bad. And so at times, and maybe this particularly happens as a young person, you start out in your faith and you you, you want to commit your life like Thomas to Christ and you want to be all in, and maybe you are all in, and you're committed and you're devoted. And then there are times as life kind of goes along, and maybe you don't, for whatever reason, it gets in the way of everything you're trying to be committed to, and the Bible would describe another stage as lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. Well, clearly it can even get worse than that because there is another one that we might describe as apathetic. And I saw an, I saw a, uh, uh, online message article the other day that just talked about the apathy that is happening in churches all across the country. It seemed to be somehow a byproduct of something that's going on both culturally and with COVID and some mix of both of those. Apathy. Going through the motions. Well, the problem is, if you're living for Christ, is we are prone to think that our obedience to Christ is somehow going to make Him love us more and we get lost in this trap. In contrast to that, Ortland says, What about living from Christ? Now, that's not a way that we've positioned it or said it very often. And what he means by that is it's about the motivation. What is at the root in your heart? Do you win to live? Do you you live to win the love of Christ, or do you live in response to the love of Christ? And I don't know about you, because I know the answer to this up here. But I find that I say one thing and do another. Well, sometimes we feel we don't deserve it because within ourselves, our fallen human nature, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. However, we've been given a new nature, right? In Christ to be clothed in Christ. So here's a, maybe a way of describing it, is that the problem is that we keep operating out of a system that is obsolete. Go ahead and put up our next slide. It's the original version. Here's the DOS help. Do you remember everybody remember DOS. I was actually thinking that I'd put in here the original version of Windows 95, but in neither case. We're living out of an operating system that is obsolete, that no longer will take us forward, that won't even run on most machines, the human machine. It doesn't work. And we do the same thing with our walk with God. We have an operating system that I want to call the law. That's what Paul called it. It's a system of works. And it's based on performance. It's based on standards. And it says something like this. I get what I deserve. I must earn it. I must prove myself. Or as one good Church of Christ brother once told me, he said it this way. And this is the way he learned it growing up. Maybe we wouldn't say it this way today, but I wonder if it's still the operating system that is underlying many of our, in many of our hearts. And this is the way it, it goes like this. I try... God makes up the difference. That is a system of works. We live as if this is a healthy normal. That is not the heart of the Bible. That is not what the Scripture teaches. And the problem is our hearts are slaves to this law. And if we do this, we will get this. We think to ourselves, if we try to be good, if we go to church, if we read our Bible, if we try harder, if we try to do the right things, if I give to others, God will reward us. God will be happy with us. God will save us in the end. And because this is the way our society works, this is the way our schools work. This is the way our sports work. Do you know what? This is the way, for the most part, our families work. This is the message we get over and over and over again, reinforced that if we do the right things, you will be received. If you do the right things, you will be applauded. If you do the right things, you will be loved. Get good grades. Perform on the field. This is slavery to law keeping that is deeply entrenched. lawishness, it can almost go undetected. It is so normal, so natural. We're expected to perform, expected by others, expected by ourselves. It's so much a part and a fabric of the world that we cannot see that this is the operating system we're living by and and, and living with and and that we will die by it. Let me tell you one of the outcomes of this way of thinking about the world and living this way is you will be very anxious. Our whole orientation, if it is about trying to get a passing grade or an outstanding grade or a better job or a bigger bank account, Now, some make it, but most of us, millions of us, flunk out. And so we say, that's not me, and that's not going to happen to me, and I can't quite measure up, or I can't quite make the grade, or I can't quite reach the bar, and what happens in the middle of all of that is we feel an enormous amount of anxiety. On the other hand, you might say like Javert, the man of law in Les Miserables, I would rather have a lawish heart than a merciful one, or especially an entitled one, or a lazy one. and I get it, you think your heart of rule-keeping and nose-to-the-grindstone, law-abiding, works-orientation is better than some other operating systems. I'm here to tell you all of those are obsolete. In fact, they just stink. And they distort your view of God. This is what Paul is trying to explain in the book of Galatians. And he has a group of believers who seem to have missed the essence of the good news. Even though I suspect they were still going to church every Sunday and sharing in the Lord's Supper. They're working from a false belief that their works can make them right with God. So Paul must explain and re-explain the gospel. And he's hard on them, if you read the book of Galatians. Because bad things happen when this faulty belief system worms its way into your world. And it will. And without detailing all the arguments of the book, let me go straight to a passage where Paul chastises the Galatians. And he says it this way in Galatians chapter 3 and verse uh, 3. And here is the key question, a key concern. And I, I like this translation from the New English uh, version. And it says it this way. Are you so foolish? Although you began with the Spirit... That's an operating system. Are you now trying to finish by human effort? That's another one. Or how about this from the New International Reader's Version? Are you so foolish you began by the Holy Spirit? Are you now trying to finish God's work in you? By your own strength. Do you get the contrast in the operating systems? The main point of this letter is that we, like the Galatians, have stopped or so often failed to trust the gospel. We revert back to works righteousness, to a performance-based Christianity. And the Phillips translation says it this way Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia. Now that's putting it in plain language. I like this one, though, from God's Word translation. Are you that stupid? Did you begin in a spiritual way only to end up doing things in a human way? Now, I don't know about you, but I feel confronted, insulted, and fittingly rebuked. Now, here's the truth. Let me just start with me. I am this stupid. This is part of why I'm taking a sabbatical. And thank you church for allowing me to do that. And thank the elders for supporting me in this. But just speaking for myself, I often place a burden that is not mine to bear upon my own shoulders. I get stuck in works righteousness, my own strength, this human way, this way of effort, this way of performance. Now, I know I've been saved by grace, but then I live my Christian life, my vocation as a minister, as if my life is based on law. What will the church think of me? Because they have a certain standard of performance. And am I living up to it? Or not? And the worst thing is, I do it again and again and again and again. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that is the definition of insanity. And that just reveals how deep this problem is of operating systems. It's exhausting and depleting. So here's the point. The grace of God is not only your gateway to Christ. He died so that we could be saved, but is the pathway. Not simply the gateway, but the pathway for the Christian life. Those were Ortland's terms. And the Apostle Paul calls me out, and maybe you as well, in this passage in Galatians 2 and twenty. One And he says it this way, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the operating system of the law or of performance or of works righteousness or of attainment or trying to, to meet these kinds of expectations, then Christ died for nothing. Now that is sobering. Or as Ortland says, to help the gospel is to lose the gospel. Still with me? Okay. What do we do? What do we do? Appreciate it, Matthew. Again last week saying, Look, folks, we're wrong, and it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to be wrong. I want to learn to grow in my admission of being wrong. To admit your wrongness. And then by faith, we replace our false operating system or our false belief that our works strengthen somehow God's love for us with the truth that the heart of Christ is what compels us. Let me say it another way. Are you living for the heart of Christ or from the heart of Christ? Christ. Now, I want you to think about that, write it down, take a picture of it, see if I'm on, on point with the book of Galatians or if I'm off point, because that language of doing things for Christ is all over Scripture. I am simply suggesting that when it becomes our operating system, we are misaligned and we will burn out, we will die, we might not make it to the end. But to live by the Spirit is to live a life from, called by, compelled by, energized by the heart of Christ. One is noble to live for Christ, the other is life-giving. One view relies on an old operating system. My life, my purpose, my success, my failures, my performance. The other is an extension, an outflow of what God has given us, his grace. And not grace one time. But grace in this moment, church, Grace in this moment by the Holy Spirit. Ongoing grace, this is the life in the Spirit. So what happens when we choose the heart of Christ over a heart of lawlessness? And I want to wrap this up here in just a few minutes, but I want to give you a fantastic illustration to finish. But I want you to hear this. Here's a byproduct. Remember the passage that the whole book is premised on? Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. And what happens? I will give you what? Rest. I'll give you rest. Where does rest come from, according to this passage? From where are you drawing your rest? The heart and operating system of lawishness will not allow it from the heart of Christ. Now, I want you to see a juxtaposition or a relationship between that idea in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 11, and that key passage that we've used in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, the section of Scripture that we've been looking at we have been looking at the book of Galatians. I'm jumping up. Fast forward to Galatians 5 and verse 1. He says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand then and do not let yourselves be burdened again By the yoke of slavery. By the operating system of works, of law, of performance keeping. The result of from Christ is freedom. Church, nothing can stop the sun from shining. Clouds or no clouds. Rain or no rain. Sin or no sin. Rebellion or no rebellion. The sun shines brightly and beautifully and radiantly. Enjoy what God has given you. Because you are not a slave. You are a son and a daughter with privileges. Anxiety and fear are everywhere. They come from an operating system that belongs in the recycling center long ago. And we have been given an identity that will bolster our psychological well-being as well as our spiritual and emotional ones. And if you're like me, you've been hanging on to a psychological substructure that is a part of the fall. And you continue to hang on it for good reason, because the whole world is measuring itself and competing and uh, meeting expectations or failing on expectations and is constantly keeping score. And that scorekeeping produces anxiety. But God is so much more gracious to you than you are to yourself. And more gracious than you have made him out to be. The gospel of God's lavishness gives us full and true freedom. Today. Today, if you'll claim it. It's too good to be true. Some of you don't want to, you want to resist it. You want to continue in your works. You don't feel like you deserve it. I'm inviting you into it. Will you let grace move into the deeper structures of your heart, and you'll have to do it again and again and again. Now, a couple of weeks back, I had the uh, privilege of teaching Theo, which is Michele's, uh class for the teens, short for Theology. Okay, it's on, it was on Tuesday night, I think it was. Every other Tuesday night, a group of students that want to go a little deeper with their faith and their understanding. Of their life and their faith in God's word, and there and and McKaylee, I told McKaylee take the day off that that night, and I was up there on the fourth floor and was with the teens, and uh, and we're they're reading through the book of Acts and they're actually listening to the book of Acts and then listening and commenting, but before we got started, and I, I asked what what was going on in their world, and one mentioned, well, I've got a presentation tomorrow. And another said, I've got several tests tomorrow. And another mentioned lots of homework tonight. And another mentioned a musical competition this week. And several... Another said several assignments that were due tomorrow. And you know what? It felt heavy to me. It felt very performance-oriented. It felt like there were a lot of expectations from self, from teachers, from administrators, from parents. Did I say from within? I would suggest that it is a much of its good Lawishness. Before we got into the time together, we said, okay, let's do a thumbs up or thumbs down, a high for the week and a low for the week. And when we got to the, to the highs for the week, as we were going around the room, and so everybody got a chance to talk, five or six of the kids said the high for their week was Sunday. And I'm like, Sunday? Sunday was a highlight. And I I was like, What? wonder what this means. Because they didn't say a lot. They didn't elaborate a great deal on what Sunday meant. Why Sunday? First day of the week? I doubt that was it. Because NFL football was on later in the afternoon, I don't know, that was it. Because of their fantasy football team, was that it? Okay, some are saying, yeah, that was it. Okay. I got it, it was the preaching. I got it. That makes sense? Okay, yeah, 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 okay. I think it's something else. And it's moving is really moving. In fact, as I got to thinking about it, I I started to cry. Here's my observation. McKaylee and those other adults have supported her, the Next Gen team. And the teens themselves have created a safe place. A place where you are not judged. A place where you do not need to perform to belong a place where you do not have to accomplish to be loved. Be here Sunday because God's love is here when you get here. This Is the essence of the gospel. I believe that's it. Now, I'm sure it's not perfect, and I'm sure judgment happens, and I'm sure there is performance that's required. But I'm saying, at its taproot underlying it, this is the essence. And what I'm describing applies not only to the teens. But for each one of us to find this spiritual reality. Maybe in community here. But I'm talking about a relationship, an operating system. It is the essence of the gospel of God's lavishness. This is what our Bible teaches not for Christ but from Him. Let's stand and sing.